Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. In light of certain actions and in past statements by Pope Francis, I thought it might be time for me to walk through some of these recent statements, some of what he's written from the Eastern Christian perspective, because I think there may be something significant here in terms of ecumenism. In other words, unity between East and West. Although Pope Francis has not said anything in his writings and his comments specifically about unity between the East and the West, he's talking about other things. In particular, the document that seems to be his signature piece called Amores Laetitia, The Joy of Love. It's also a very controversial one. Well, with its implications and possible implications, I'm going to walk through a little bit. Now, to really treat this document thoroughly is beyond the scope of this program, but I do believe there are some implications here for unity between East and West. Now, I want to make a very clear point here. This program and my message here is not about any kind of pro or con for Pope Francis. This is not about any kind of acknowledgement of any kind of liberal conspiracy that he may be a part of, nor is it a denial of that theory. It has nothing to do with that. Think of it as walking through a bit of a forest, and a forest is this phenomenon of Pope Francis in light of ecumenism. First of all, in his document, Amoris Laetitia, The Joy of Love, the most controversial part is the so-called chapter 8 or section 8. And in that section, I'm going to read from a paragraph. It's number 307. See, in these papal documents, they always number the paragraphs. It's a handy way of getting to certain points or looking up some kind of a point that you want to talk about or maybe look at again. So they very conveniently number their points or their paragraphs. So this is section 307 in Amoris Laetitia. If you have a copy, you may want to follow along or maybe look it up. In this section, 307 of Amoris Laetitia, the title is The Logic of Pastoral Mercy. The Logic of Pastoral Mercy. And this is what Pope Francis says. In order to avoid all misunderstanding, I would point out that in no way must the church 
desist from proposing the full ideal of marriage, God's plan in all its grandeur. Quote, young people who are baptized should be encouraged to understand that the sacrament of marriage can enrich their prospects of love and they can be sustained by the grace of Christ in the sacrament and by the possibility of participating fully in the life of the church, unquote. And that is a reference to a document called Relatio Synodi. In other words, it's from the Synod on the Family that Pope Francis had a little while ago. Okay, I'll continue with that section. A lukewarm attitude, any kind of relativism, or an undue reticence in proposing that ideal would be a lack of fidelity to the gospel and also of love on the part of the church for young people themselves. To show understanding in the face of exceptional situations never implies dimming the light of the fuller ideal or proposing less than what Jesus offers to the human being. Today, more important than the pastoral care of failures is the pastoral effort to strengthen marriages and thus to prevent their breakdown. Okay, now the reason I read that, because I want to be right up front, and this is a section that often gets omitted, or it doesn't quite get the airtime whenever there is any kind of discussion about Pope Francis and where he might be on this issue, especially of divorced and remarried Catholics, meaning Catholics who are remarried but not in the church and have not received the nomen. So I want to, again, repeat something from this section. He says, in order to avoid all misunderstanding, I would point out that in no way must the church desist from proposing the full ideal of marriage, God's plan in all its grandeur. Then he mentions that to do this, in other words, to not present the church's teaching clearly, would actually be a disservice to young people. Okay, so I want to be very clear about that. I want to keep that in mind as we walk through this forest known as Pope Francis. Now, section 308, the very following paragraph, he says this, at the same time, From our awareness of the weight of mitigating circumstances, psychological, historical, and even biological, it follows that without detracting from the evangelical ideal, there is a need to accompany with mercy and patience the eventual stages of personal growth as these progressively appear, making room for the Lord's mercy, which spurs us on to do our best. I understand that those who prefer a more rigorous pastoral care, which leaves no room for confusion— But I sincerely believe that Jesus wants a church attentive to the goodness which the Holy Spirit sows in the midst of human weakness, a mother who, while clearly expressing her objective teaching, always does what good she can. And even if in the process, her shoes get soiled by the mud of the street. All right, so now he he seems to not contradict, but he makes a qualification. First, he says, We're not going to change church teaching, and we have to present clearly the teaching of the church on marriage, especially to our young people. At the same time, we can't just leave it there. We have to somehow walk with them, understand the situations, and try to get those individuals, especially those in what he calls irregular situations, into an understanding, an embracing, a living of the ideal, in other words, of the teaching of the church. So, I think this summarizes what I think Pope Francis is trying to get across to the church and to the world. Now, again, this is not a defense or a disagreement with what the Pope is saying. There was recently, and this is another reason why I'm bringing this up, there was recently a document sent to the Pope. It's called a Fraternal Correction. It was signed by 60 people, and I don't believe any of them were priests or bishops or cardinals. 
And they were basically saying that the Pope is in heresy by some of the things he says, especially in this document, in this Amoris Laetitia. Furthermore, as you know, there was what's called the dubia, which means like doubt, submitted to the Pope by four very credible, very well-known men of integrity, four cardinals. They simply were asking the Pope for clarification. They were not disagreeing. They were just saying, the way you said these things has left some doubt. Can you clarify it? The Pope has not, to this day, as of this, as this, the Pope has not, as of the recording of this program, clarified or answered the dubia. These are just the facts. So, my point is, is that, yes, credible people and many concerned people have raised a question about what the Pope is saying. It sounds like he's saying something that is against church teaching. Our point here is not to debate that. Our point here is to see all this in light of ecumenism. And I believe there is something significant in this and other things that the Pope is trying to do. What do I mean by this? Well, first of all, as I read Amoris Laetitia as an Eastern Catholic, I couldn't help seeing that there must have been some influence upon the Pope, or maybe he was, without saying it, drawing from a bit of an Eastern approach in terms of marriage and divorce. And that's something else I want to be very clear about. Oftentimes, people ask me questions about the Orthodox position. And again, I am not Orthodox. I am Eastern Catholic, but we follow, of course, the same sacramental liturgical spirituality. But there are some differences in the canon law of Eastern Catholics and Orthodox. We do have our own Eastern Code of Canon Law as Eastern Catholics, which when it comes to marriage annulment is very, very similar to the Latin Rite practice. There are some nuanced differences. In the Orthodox churches, there is more differences. The Orthodox position, basically, as I understand it, is they allow what we call divorce only because of where they're coming from theologically. In other words, the particular theological emphasis. The Catholic Church does not acknowledge divorce at all. The Eastern Orthodox churches will say this, that Christian marriage is supposed to be an immersion into love of Christ, and love of Christ should grow within the individuals and between them, that marriage is a venue for that love. If, and they say this in the Orthodox Church, if that love has died, in other words, it is, it is absent, and the situation then becomes caustic or counterproductive, it, it prevents the couple from truly living and sharing this love of Christ. And the Orthodox Church will say that the love has died or the marriage has died. In a sense, it's almost like their way of annulling the marriage. In the Catholic understanding, the annulment is based upon what the couple brought to the marriage. In other words, they go back to the beginning. The beginning is the critical thing in Catholic canon law when it comes to annulments. In the Orthodox Church, it's not so much the beginning as what has happened to the marriage. In allowing a so-called divorce, the Orthodox Church is simply saying that this love that is supposed to be the very essence of Christian marriage has died, this Christian love, and now the marriage becomes almost a danger. In other words, these two people in this relationship, because it has become now so caustic and non-life-giving, and now can represent perhaps a danger to their spirituality, a danger to their salvation. In other words, it's working against them spiritually. Furthermore, the Orthodox believe that the church was given the power to bind and to loose, and they don't believe that that is limited just to confession. As you know in the scripture, Jesus Christ says to the apostles, whose sins you shall forgive, they shall be forgiven. What you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
The Orthodox Church believe that that is not limited just to confession or to sins, but can be used by the church in other areas such as marriage or the end of a marriage when a marriage has died. When the in the Orthodox churches, as I understand it, again, as they say, I'm an, I am a Eastern Catholic, I'm not an Orthodox Christian, but as I understand the Orthodox perspective and approach to nomads, there is a tribunal of sorts. In other words, a couple does have to present their case to the Orthodox Church, to the priest, the bishop, and some form of tribunal, usually in Orthodox eparchies, which are their dioceses. It is then judged and declared to be essentially null or dead, and so the couple is free to separate. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. I'm laying a foundation here to to walk through the ecumenical implications of what Pope Francis might be trying to say or do. I'm Father Thomas Loyal on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're walking through a bit of a forest today, and that is always risky. So I hope that I'm going to be understood correctly. What I'm doing is I'm walking through this forest known as Pope Francis, and I'm doing so with a specific purpose in mind, to look at the implications ecumenically of what he might be trying to say or do. And again, this is not a for or against what he is doing or saying. I'm just trying to look at what might be some implications for ecumenism. What do I mean by that? Well, after presenting, as I did before the break, what I believe is, in in short, the essence of how the Eastern Orthodox churches approach this question of marriage and divorce, I believe that perhaps Pope Francis has reached into that a bit, at least looked into some kind of wisdom that might be there. Pope Francis may be reaching into that reservoir of the East and how they approach marriage and divorce, and maybe apply that to a development of marriage and annulment and divorce and Holy Communion, that whole big question, to apply that to development of this in the Latin rite in light of, as Pope Francis says, the irregular situations which are becoming almost the norm. In other words, we have so many cases, probably some of you have been listening to me or in this situation, where you are divorced, and maybe you're remarried but not in the church, you haven't been able to have an annulment for whatever reason, but you still want to be faithful to the church in every other way. You come to church, maybe you're involved in church. You're in every way a good person, striving for holiness. But there is this unfinished business of your annulment. 
can you receive Holy Communion in the situation that you're in? In other words, you're remarried and the marriage seems to be going well and so on. Pope Francis is simply asking the church to look at this. And maybe there's some kind of development canonically or in the process of annulment and marriage and Holy Communion that the church needs to look at as part of a theological development. And their church does develop its theology. Now, this is not to be confused with changing its fundamental teachings, its doctrine, or its dogma. It simply means development. In other words, how do we apply that dogma and doctrine? How do we get the doctrine, the dogma, to people? How do we incorporate and bring people into the light of faith, into this wisdom of the sacramental life of the church? How do we do that? I think that's what he's asking. He's asking in light of our times, looking at our times and the situations that exist in people's lives, that basically are probably unprecedented in history in terms of their their depth and their numbers, their frequency, their complexity. How do we do that? The implication for ecumenism on this note, I believe, is this. If Pope Francis is trying to put forward a possibility for development theologically, canonically, when it comes to nomens, to make them, in a sense, less cumbersome, more a more pastoral approach without, once again, without going against the teaching of the church, you know, its doctrine or dogma theology on marriage. He is perhaps moving the church, if indeed the church does move this way, moving it a step towards what might be a little more familiar to the Orthodox churches, to the Eastern Christian spirituality in terms of the canon law of marriage and divorce and Holy Communion. So I think there may be something that could have a certain bearing on ecumenical relations in this regard. Maybe, could be. Again, I'm not drawing conclusions here, but I think I owe it to you. I certainly owe it to my own people as a pastor. I owe it to anybody as a priest to, if nothing else, join hands with you and walk through this forest of Pope Francis and see maybe what is the Holy Spirit trying to do here? I can foresee something that could be good ecumenically. Again, my focus here is ecumenically. Now, the verdict is still out on all this, so please don't think I'm champing any one thing or the other or I'm against one thing or the other. I'm just walking through this in a way where we're trying to discern maybe what the Holy Spirit could be doing. There's something else here that is significant in the whole pontificate thus far of Pope Francis. By the very fact that he has taken a very, very pastoral approach, And by the very fact that he is controversial in this regard, and maybe questionable, the fact that he may even be questionable in terms of what he's saying, that maybe he's saying something that could not be and cannot be acceptable to the church. This has happened in history. In fact, the statement that was given to him recently, signed by 60 people, that fraternal correction, as it were, has not happened in the church since the year 1333. That's a long time, almost a thousand years ago. But the fact is, it has happened. And there were other times in the church when the Pope may have seemed to be a little bit off, he was corrected, and he did, in fact, speak correctly from the chair. In other words, there's never really been a case in the history of the papacy where a Pope ever officially spoke heresy and made that an official teaching or tried to make an official teaching. In fact, that is what actually spawned some of the ecumenical councils. There were patriarchs who were espousing things that were not right, and the councils had to come together and correct it. Which brings me to my point. Notice what happened in the East. 
a patriarch in the Eastern churches is something like a pope. Yet, a council could overrule the patriarch. A council is what brought forward the actual teaching. It was never up to just one person, not even the head of the church. Now, this ecclesiology is very much a part of Eastern ecclesiology and why the East, especially the Orthodox churches, have an uneasiness about the place, the stature that the papacy in the West has grown. In other words, the Orthodox believe that there has been a kind of an overdevelopment of the papacy, that it kind of grew out of proportion. Now, one of the things that could be happening in a backhanded way, maybe it is the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm only walking through this. When you walk through a forest, you don't always know exactly where you're going. You say to yourself, maybe we go this way. Maybe the way out is that way. And that's what I'm doing here. And that's the best or most that I can do, actually, at this point. Because there's so much that we need to wait and watch for as all this stuff develops with Pope Francis. But in a backhanded way, this can actually contribute towards ecumenism. Because what it's showing is that the church is actually greater even than a pope. In other words, there's a little bit of, may I say, demythologizing of the pope that could be happening. In other words, in a backhanded way. Let's say the pope, for instance, is a little off base, or he's outright wrong or heretical. I'm saying maybe, theoretically speaking, I'm not saying that he is. Even if that were the case, what would happen? Would the church crumble to the ground? Would all be lost? No. You already see what's happening. Others would step up, the magisterium, other concerned people, credible people, and eventually the true teaching would reign. The true teaching would be clarified, and the church would continue to move on. The point here is that if we have a pope in whatever point of history, maybe it's now, we don't know, if he is a little off and has to be corrected, it actually shows something that was present in the East, that the church is not about just a single person, a patriarch or a pope who is the patriarch of the West. It's more than that. The Holy Spirit is present in the church, in the whole body of the church. And the gates of hell, as Jesus said, would never prevail against the church. That somehow, some way, the true teaching would bubble to the surface and it would become what keeps the church on track. So a certain dialing back of the papacy is something that actually could work towards ecumenism with the Orthodox. Now, what I mean by dialing back, I'm talking about dialing back in terms of how the papacy is sometimes seen or expressed, and maybe where it has grown in the last millennium. In the last millennium, the papacy grew in response to circumstances, historical circumstances. Maybe it had to grow that strong and that singular Maybe not, or maybe that's no longer required, that it could be dialed back a bit. Now, in saying this, I'm actually in good company with people like Pope Benedict XVI. He talked about how the Orthodox churches could not be held to any form of ecclesiology that they were not a part of in the last millennium. In other words, what happened in the West did not happen in the East. So if the papacy grew in a certain way in the West, it grew to circumstances that were peculiar to the West. Does that apply to the East then? In other words, how universal is the authority of the Pope in this way? That is the question. And Pope Benedict XVI was willing to look at that question in a way that made the Orthodox really stand up and take notice. They liked what he was saying. 
not because he was in any way just going along with them or compromising the church. He was really, being the great scholar he is, he was really looking at the papacy in a very honest way and raising this question about the development of the papacy and that the suggestion would be to look at the papacy in light of the first millennium when the circumstances that occurred in the second millennium in the West were not present, as I mentioned. And I, I can't stress this enough. Some of the growth of the papacy, the stature that it has now, what we might call today its, its rock star status, which I enjoy myself, I have to admit. But some of that, though, was in response to historical circumstances. Circumstances today are different. So can that be dialed back? Can there be a modification? Can there be more of a return to the papacy of the first millennium? This is what the Orthodox are suggesting. This is what Pope Benedict, this is what the Pope himself, Benedict XVI, suggested that we look at. And again, he's a very responsible scholar. So it's good to trust anything that he says or writes. This is obviously a topic we're going to have to talk more about in the future. But before I conclude here, I do want to say hello to some of the good people that I spent some time with recently in Yuba City, California. I also want to say hello to the chickens of Yuba City, California. And those of you out there know exactly what I'm talking about. I also want to say hello to a good friend of ours here at Light of the East, Miriam. Thank you very much for your beautiful letter, Miriam. And thank you above all for listening. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Live Truth, Live Catholic with trusted series, features, and specials from EWTN Home Video. The EWTN Home Video highlight for October is the EWTN Family Celebration in Worcester, Massachusetts. Celebrate 100 years of Fatima. Order your DVD set at EWTNRC.com, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Or call 1-800-854-6316. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!